tonight on Arena. Joe Darling on his new production of Brian Friel's Faith Healer at the Abbey Theatre. And we review the new translation of Elena Ferrante's novel, The Lost Daughter. Five one double five one is the text. You can tweet the programme at RTE Arena. The long-delayed Abbey Theatre production of Brian Friel's Faith Healer opens this evening. It stars Aidan Gillen as the Faith Healer of the title, Frank Hardy, who travels through the remote towns and villages of Scotland and Wales offering hope and cures to the most desperate of people he meets. The story is told in monologues from Frank himself, his wife Gracie, played by Neve Cusack, and manager Teddy, played by Nigel Lindsay. Through... Freel's genius storytelling we encounter the story of their lives together though versions may differ in the telling. The story of the play Faith Healer is as fascinating as the play itself and the director of this Abbey production Joe Darling is the same director who 40 years ago gave it its first production on an Irish stage. I met Joe Darling earlier, sat down with him in the Peacock Theatre foyer to discuss Faith Healer's past and present. Joe, your relationship with the plays of Brian Friel, indeed with Brian Friel, goes back quite a long way. You said that I think Brian Friel changed your life. You probably wouldn't be sitting in front of me today if it wasn't for Brian Friel. I, I think that's probably very true. Um, it, it did in the way, that, in the sense that I saw Philadelphia Here I Come in 1964 in the Gaiety, the first production. And while I was starstruck already and, and, and theatre-bound, but I had no real concept because I was 16 at the time. So I had no real concept at all of what life in the theatre meant. But I kind of knew when I saw the play that that's where I had to be. I had to be doing that. And um, from then on, it became a serious intent. And t- two years later, I joined the Abbey. And in fact, as a very young director, uh, you were brought in, was Tomás McCann, I think, in this very building, in the amphitheatre, who brought you in to talk about directing Living Quarters. Uh, how tongue-tied were you at that particular meeting? Freel was there as well. I was... I mean, to meet your hero and to meet somebody uh, who just had, had had that impact when I was younger. Um, yes, Tomás McCann invited... It was actually... The first meeting was actually... Uh, in the old Royal Dublin Hotel that was on O'Connell Street. And we sat with a drink in front of us. I was, I, I was director of the Peacock at the time, um, all of 24, 25. And um, I, I couldn't barely say a word. Um, Friel was also quite a shy man, in fact. And he wasn't saying much either. So it was down to Tomás McConaughey who... Uh, was an extraordinary leader and a jovial presence and a terrific... Um, he was just had, had exactly the right kind of approach and attitude to get these two very shy people looking at each other to actually talk to each other. But I came away from that meeting and my, I, I remember going down O'Connell Street sort of with my heart heavy thinking, well, you completely blew that one. You haven't a chance that this man is ever going to ask you to direct one of his plays when you can't even put two sentences together. Um, so I was stunned the next day when McConaughey told me that Brian wanted me to direct his play. And that was the beginning of a long and very, very happy working relationship and a happy personal relationship with a great man, a great writer and a real um, a great Irishman. Let's roll forward a bit then and bring us to this play, to, to Faith Healer. 
the early 1970s. First production of this play in America, James Mason in the part of Frank Hardy, you know, huge excitement. Mm. And, and, and Philadelphia and Here I Come and other plays had been successes for Freel at this point as well. But that first production of Faith Healer just didn't work. Did you see it or did you hear about it? I heard about it. Uh, obviously, I'd read the play before. We were rehearsing Aristocrats, Brian's other play, here at the Abbey, the first production of that, when Brian went off to um, oversee the, the, the New York, the Broadway production of his new play, Faith Healer. And I'd read the play. Um, it, it was a, a very difficult play for a Broadway audience unfamiliar with Irish storytelling, with the, 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 the monologue form. Um, and Brian always said that James Mason actually was quite wonderful. He was, he was terrific. The problem was twofold, I think. One, he, his wife, Clarissa Kay, was playing Gracie. And uh, that was a problem because, by all accounts, and again, I didn't see it, uh, by all accounts, it was not a performance that really, it, it didn't um, sort of work. Um, and the actor who was playing Teddy left after they had an out-of-town tryout in Boston and he left a man called Ed Flanders and they had to bring in Donald Donnelly. So the, the, the production had some difficulties and then it was in too big a theatre and in those days uh, the actors weren't mic'd on the stage at all. That was regarded as you know a terrible thing to do and James Mason was in his 70s. So I think there was a whole combination of things that the play wasn't seen in its proper uh, form. But I, I was artistic director of the Abbey by this time, so I said to Brian, we'll do it at the Abbey. And he, he was very reluctant because he, he didn't want to go through the same... He knew he had a great play on his hands, but he didn't want to go through the same experience in Dublin that he had just been through in New York. So we talked about it, but he was saying, I don't think so, I, I really don't think so, we'll, we'll leave it. We leave it sit for a few years and see what happens. And then about a week later, I, I, again, we'd opened Aristocrats and he was very happy with the production. And he, about a week later, he called me and he said, if you can persuade Donald McCann to play Frank Hardy, um, we'll do the play. And Donald, though he was much younger than the role demanded, um, sort of at that point made it his own. Uh, once we'd embraced that idea of doing it and we had Donal and we had Kate Flynn who was a wonderful actor here at the time and John Kavanagh who's a, still a, a wonderful wonderful a, a actor um, we had that cast and um, it just from then on and, and I, as we started to work on it I remember distinctly thinking why would people not find this fascinating and, and uh, yes the play the play was a huge success here and went on to have a a subsequent life that now results in us doing it again. <laughs> uh, when we think of that play, Faith Hill, four monologues, two of them from Frank Hardy, all intertwining different versions of a story of a particular night. Um, at, at one level, it sounds so simple, and the monologue became almost ubiquitous, you could argue, in Irish theatre, certainly. It was in the mid-70s, mid to late 70s, when the first production happened here in Ireland. Yeah, so, you know, you're, you're talking about into the 80s and 90s when monologues from young playwrights really became the, the way it was for, for quite a while. Would you put a lot of that down to what was seen in Faith Healer? Oh, there is no question in my mind that Faith Healer in particular, and Friel in general, um, was a trailblazer for Irish theatre. Um, 
What was fascinating about Brian, and if you look at the canon of his plays, now that we have the complete canon, he he was always exploring different styles, different ways of telling stories. He never, ever sort of settled into a, this is a freel style. I mean, if you go from Philadelphia here, I come with the two characters, the same character played by two different actors. You go through to Lovers, where you know what's, what is going to happen, and yet you still um, watch the play because of the, the way he tells the story. And then you have Faith Healer, a play of monologues. And then, I mean, two great masterpieces of Irish theatre, uh, translations, first done in Derry in 1980 in the brilliant production by Arthur Brian that changed the way many people outside this country as well as in this country thought about the, what had led to the troubles and what had led to where we were at that particular time. And then came uh, another masterpiece, Dancing at Lunasa. And in that he evoked, um, I mean, through the, the dance, through physical movement, through the way in which also he told that story, he evoked a whole um, era that, uh, uh, that, that was coming, I mean, with things like Riverdance and, and other expressions of Irish culture through movement. And Freel was there, with, ahead of them all. A major, major figure in international theatre, a major playwright, you know, and, and, and it's great that the Abbey has done so many of his plays and great that they're now doing this one, which is one of his masterpieces. And it, again, I'm winding forward a bit here to the time when you were uh, artistic director in the Tyrone Gussie Theatre in Minneapolis, a theatre with which Freel himself had a huge uh, relationship. And in fact, if I say that you wouldn't be a director in theatre if it weren't for Brian Freel, we could argue that Brian Freel may not have been a playwright if it weren't for the Tyrone Guthrie Theatre. Well, T- Tyrone Guthrie was a hero for Brian. I mean, Brian... Brian had a great relationship with them. And Tyrone Guthrie had seen some of Brian's stories in The New Yorker magazine and others and had complimented him on it and complimented him on, um, in, in letters and writing uh, on, on, on um, an early play that he'd written. Um, and when Brian saw in the newspaper that Tyrone Guthrie was going to open a theatre in Minneapolis, Minnesota, he wrote to, to, uh, to, to Tyrone Guthrie and said, could I come and observe and be an observer at your new theatre? And Guthrie wrote back immediately saying yes. And Brian and, and his wife Anne and their two children at that time um, took off for uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. He had been a school teacher and now this was his foray into becoming a full-time writer. And he wrote extensively about the, the impact that it had watching Guthrie at work. Guthrie was probably at the time the most innovative theatre director in the world, certainly in the English-speaking world. And so Friel had the opportunity to um, sit and watch and, and uh, see how he shaped plays, shaped productions, and it had a massive impact. And in fact, he started to write Philadelphia Here I Come while he was there in Minnesota. And why, why, my first play that I directed, well, actually the second play, but the fir- in the first season, first play that I directed there was Philadelphia, Here I Come, and Donald Donnelly, who had played Gar in the original, came back and played the father. So the circle was being complete. And Friel wrote to me and he said, I wrote this play having left Minnesota on a Guthrie high, 
And when he heard that I was going to run the Guthrie Theatre, um, he wrote me a really wonderful letter kind of saying, um, you know how much this, this theatre means to me and that you're going there feels so right for, for them and for you. And, you know, it was, it, it, I know it meant a lot to him. All sorts of circles completed, of course. Now, you, there were many free plays that you produced uh, while you were there in, in Minneapolis. Then there was the moment when Joe Darling, former actor, like quite a while back in his 20s, decided, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take on Frank Hardy now. I'm going to play the part of Frank Hardy in a production in Minneapolis. What possessed you to decide to well, do that? It, it wasn't quite as simple as that. Um, it was Friel's uh, 80th birthday and I wanted to celebrate it in some way. And I thought this play is a perfect one because... It's, it's so much, it synthesizes so much of what Brian's work is about. Um, and I thought, this is the one to do. But I, I thought, if I, whatever actor I cast, I'm going to hear Donald McCann's voice because I had never done it with anyone else except Donald at that point. And I thought, I'll drive that actor nuts. I mean, I'll keep wanting particular intonations. And that's the worst thing a director can do. I mean, you just can't be... I mean, I've had that experience myself as an actor. A director would say, no, 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 this is the way you do it and give you the line reading. Not acceptable at all. So I woke up one morning and I thought, well, maybe you should do it yourself. Just as a vague thought. I said it to my wife, Siobhan, and she didn't say, "Uh, what are you smoking? I'd like some, please. Um, so I went into the theatre and I mentioned it, unfortunately, to the head of communications, who immediately ran out and got the poster done. I mean, there was an absolute avalanche of, you're doing this now and we're going to sort of make it a centrepiece of the season. So then I was kind of, I was in it. Probably the most terrifying thing I've ever done in my life. But what was interesting about that was... I thought I would be hearing Donald's, because Donald was remarkable. I thought I'd be hearing his voice. Um, I didn't. I heard Friel's voice. I heard, by, by focusing as an actor on the text, I could see what makes it such an attractive part for great actors like Donald, like Aidan Gillen. Um, the, this... This play speaks to you in, in a very particular way as an actor. Of course, Aidan Gillen is playing Frank Hardy in, in, in the current production, but just sticking with your own experience, if I can, for a moment, Friel, uh, at a certain point in his life, was quite dismissive of the director, the theatre director, and I know your experience of him as a director would be if an actor needed a note, Friel knew how to give the director the note to pass it on to the actor, not directly to the actor. Now, when it came to you, the actor... <laughs> Were you, could you take on board, perhaps, some of Freel's notes that had come to you as a director, if you know what I mean? Could you hear Freel directing you almost silently, apart from on the text on the page now? Yes, yes. I could hear Brian's emphasis on particular words and particular phrases in the, in the play. The play is filled with... I mean, it's a remarkable play on, on lots of different levels. One on the sheer storytelling level. You have to tell the story, and the story is told in fractured ways, you know, because all of the different, uh, Frank Hardy and Grace, uh, his wife, we believe, and his manager all tell the same stories, but tell it from a different perspective. And of course, that's true of life. I mean, we all might, you and I might be at the same event, and you'd describe it entirely differently to me. So there's an element of that in the storytelling that keeps people waiting for what the next guy's going to say. But there's also um, a level of 
uh, poetic vision in this play. Friel structured language so beautifully, and he uses language in a really powerful, beautiful, memorable way. And some of the images in the play, um, I mean, he, he, you know, he, he, he used, uh, a, a, as I say, a kind of poetry, though the play is not written in poetry, but it, it has a poetic ring to it, a musical ring to it. So you have to get that right. Um, and that's where, uh, listening to his voice, even though he was at that time back in, uh, in Greencastle, um, but listening to that voice was what helped me through. Coming to the play now, because you, you know you had that first Irish production with Donald McCann, other productions with Donald McCann, as you say, and now this new production with Neve Cusack, and Nigel Lindsay, and Aidan Gillen. Uh, does the play is it saying something new to you in 2021 that it, that it wasn't saying back in 1978 nine? Uh, yes, I mean, in in some ways, and in other ways, the sort of permanence of, of the play and the canon, the the, the it, you can't sort of have it up to 2021 in terms of, you know, they'd all have cell phones and they, they would never end up where they did. So you have to sort of respect the culture in which it's, it's written and the kind of world, the world of the 1950s where the fit-ups were a normal expectation of, of, of country towns all around the country and indeed all around Britain as well. But in, in the theme of the play remains the same. I mean, the theme of the play, um, while ostensibly about a faith healer and his wife and his manager is also about the art of creation a creative artist somebody who sits with a blank page or with a a blank canvas and and has to create from nothing a um, a work of art and frank hardy in the play always called his faith healing a performance he talked about it as a performance and when I got, he says, I get so tense before a performance, that's when he would recite the names of all the places. So that, that sort of central thing of how is art created? How does the, what is an artist? Is it a craft? Is it a, a, a vocation? What is it that, that motivates certain people um, to want to, to, to do that? That, I think, remains a constant. But it's interesting... I find it interesting at this stage of my life, a much older stage than when I did it first, how much that resonates now with me in a way that, that perhaps it didn't uh, in, in, in the early times because I thought, well, of course, he just sits down and writes it. And then it's a brilliant play and then there we are. But the, the kind of difficulty of creation is important. I think the other thing too, and after what we've been through for the last year, the isolation of the play, the sense that even though they were all together, they lived in completely separate worlds. And that's a, a, identified by the fact that there's always only one person on stage at the time. So though, th- that, I think, has sort of, as we've gone through it, has, has struck us, the, the, the actors and myself, more this time than certainly I remember back in, uh, in the late 70s or in the last time I had done the play with Donald was in... 1990 in uh, the Long Wharf Theatre in, in Connecticut. How different is the Dublin Theatre of now, 2021, from the Dublin Theatre of 1979, the Dublin Theatre that you left when you went to Minneapolis later in the, towards the end of the century, I guess, and, and then the Dublin Theatre that you came back to? How different a scene is it now? Are, are there fundamentals that are better, fundamentals that you miss that are worse, maybe? 
it's very hard for me, having been away so long, um, to sort of opine about the state of Irish theatre, and I think that would be a, something of, a, of an impertinence because the world has changed quite dramatically. Um, I can only talk from what I see, um, and, and I, I'm, I'm hugely impressed with the young people who are coming out of drama schools like the Lear and the Gaiety School of Acting. I'm, I'm hugely impressed at the commitment that perhaps in a previous generation wasn't wasn't there I, i'm not denigrating anybody but you know when i came into the into the theater first in the late 1960s um there hadn't there hadn't been much by way of training and there hadn't there wasn't by much by way of sort of internal discipline both both of the the artists themselves or of the company it it was much looser and rehearsals weren't as um austere and definite when I look at what's happening here in this theatre, in the Abbey Theatre, um, I see a hugely professional organisation in a way that when I was running it back in the late 70s, early 80s, we, we were striving, financially striving, to actually make it uh, a professional organisation, a fully professional organisation. And now I see that in every aspect of this theatre. It has that, and that, that has um given the work a kind of uh, a, a new international perspective. But you were involved in the, uh, in the interview process for the current artistic directorial team here in the Abbey. So in, in your mind, I know there were others involved here as well, and it wasn't just your decision, but there must have been something that, uh, you, were, that you saw in the team and that you wanted to see in the years forward, particularly for the National Theatre. I, I, I was simply an advisor to... Um, the committee that had been set up. So my role was was uh, not central to the, to the decision making. I have to say that I think that committee made a, a, a brilliant choice. I think Katrina McLaughlin and Mark O'Brien are a, are a superb team. Both um, have, have great reputations. Both of them have successes uh, under their belt outside of this organisation and Katrina within it. Um, so I, I think that that committee made a, a, a really wise and, and considered and th- well thought through decision to make the co-directors those two um, really strong leaders. So I'm, I'm thrilled with, with, the, um, with that decision. One other thing then that I do have to ask you, you're back at directing. I don't know if you're going to go back acting now in Ireland as well. Would there be any tickle in your bone around the idea of an artistic directorship but if one were to come up? at a venue in the city or in the country? Sean, I'm 73. Get real. <laughs> You're very young, 73. Um, quite rightly, the world has changed in that respect. And we old white guys, we have had our chance. We took our chances when we got them. And now it's up to uh, the next generation and the generation after that. And they will come along and there will be people like Katrina, like Mark, like... Um, so many others of those whom I greatly admire, and they will take the leadership in in theatre and bring it uh, bring it forward in a way that hopefully, when I look back on what we did here when I was artistic director, we were able to do. We were able to um, move the theatre forward to a certain degree. Each leader does that in their own particular way. I've no desire. I've been artistic director of I was you know Irish Theatre Company, the Peacock, the Abbey. Um, the Gaiety uh, and, and the uh, the largest regional theatre in the United States. I think that's enough for one lifetime. 
Joe, lovely to talk to you and thanks for taking the time out because I know you're in the middle of a very busy period, previews and on the go and notes to be given. So thanks for being with us. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Lovely to speak with Joe Darling earlier there and Joe, the director, of course, of the current production of Faith Healer running at the Abbey Theatre, opening tonight, in fact, opening roundabout now with Aidan Gillen, Neve Cusack and Nigel Lindsay in the cast. It runs right through until January the 2nd, following all of the guidelines, of course, regarding COVID. And you can find out full details of how to book on abbeytheatre.ie.